Congress appropriates the funding. We asked them to not use that funding for that particular purpose. They denied it. And now we're complying with the law. What? Complying with the law? That's crazy talk. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yay! From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, and I insist, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Let's begin with some good news, shall we, Desi Doyen? I do like good news. Of course, when I begin with good news, you know that everything else is probably going to go to hell straight thereafter. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, this is actually it's a follow up. It's a, hopefully a wrap up to a story that we've been covering closely for some time now. At least a wrap up to this part of what is clearly a much larger story. And I guess I have to add uh, at least a wrap up for now to this part of the story. A federal court on Thursday ordered Alabama to use a new congressional map that could lead the state to elect two black representatives for the first time in history by creating a second district with close to close to a majority of black voters. The order is the culmination of a nearly two year fight over the Republican dominated state's illegal dilution of black voting power. It could also lead to Democrats picking up another seat at a moment when control of the House of Representatives hinges on a thin Republican majority, notes the New York Times. More than one in four residents of Alabama are black, but six of the state's seven congressional districts have long been held by white Republicans. Alabama, a state with a long history of bucking federal voting and civil rights law, until intervention from the courts forces them to do otherwise. They had long resisted court orders, including from the U.S. Supreme Court, to create that second district where black voters had the ability to elect a representative of their choice. Well, now the three-judge panel 
took the responsibility of assigning a special master to draw the state's U.S. House maps for them. Took that responsibility from Alabama officials after they had brazenly ignored the directives of both the federal panel and and the U.S. Supreme Court itself. When the Supremes knocked down uh, the state's map as a Voting Rights Act violation back in June, they ordered a second black majority district or something, quote, quite close to it, as Chief Justice John Roberts wrote at the time. After that, the case was kicked back to the federal panel, which expected the state legislators to draw a new map with, as the high court had ordered, an additional black majority district or something quite close to it. Instead, the Republican legislators defiantly turned in another map with only one black majority district. Alabama officials appealed to the Supreme Court at that point for help. They asked the justices to uphold their new map, which again only had the one majority district in contravention of what the Supreme Court had told them had the same deficiencies that had just gotten knocked down just months earlier. Anyway, the officials were uh, reportedly acting on rumors that Justice Brett Kavanaugh, who was the key swing vote uh, for Alabama's defeat back in June, uh, that he was somehow open to changing his mind. Well, he wasn't, as it turns out, at least not now, at least not with this map, at least not in this state right now. The court swatted down the official's request, and in the meantime, the court had appointed a special master who produced three different maps from which to choose. The third one was apparently the favorite of the voting rights groups and individual voters. That turns out to have been the winner. It includes one district where the black voting age population is almost uh, 52%, and another where it is 48.7%. So Alabama, by the way, objected to all three maps. Of course they did. You mean Alabama Republicans. Correct. The uh, judges by now uh, were completely fed up with the state's behavior. They also took some uh, time to rebut some of Alabama's more hyperbolic arguments against the remedial maps, saying, quote, there can be no genuine argument that meaningfully changing only two districts out of seven and perfectly tracking county boundaries in 19 of the 21 counties in those two districts is somehow a, quote, disfigurement, they wrote. Likewise, there can be no earnest argument that departing from the state's rejected 2023 plan in this way to remedy racially discriminatory vote dilution while leaving 86.9% of Alabamians in precisely the same district they were in under the 23, uh, 2023 plan. There can be uh, no way to remedy uh, that, that notion that this remotely approaches the abhorrent practice of racially segregating public schools for children, which is what the state had ridiculously ordered. Quote, it did not have to be this way, the judges wrote uh, as they signed off on the, uh, uh, the map from the special master. And it would not have been this way if the legislature had created a second opportunity district or majority minority district. They did not do so in 2021. Yes, they got away with it. They got away with violating the law and the Constitution for at least that one cycle. 
And as the state Senate conceded at the remedial hearing, they failed again to do so in 2023. They brought this on themselves. But of course, that was the point. Shortly after the order, the Alabama Secretary of State, Wes Allen, a Republican, said in a statement that he will not challenge this new map, at least for the 2024 cycle. Allen said that his office would implement the map, quote, that was forced upon Alabama (laughs) for the 2024 cycle. But he signaled that he would continue to appeal the use of that map thereafter. Quote, it is important for all Alabamians to note uh, to know that the legal portion of this process has not yet been completed. So, yeah, they're going to keep fighting this. My apparently, God, they're the so brazen. For now, nonetheless, at least for 2024, it seems voters in the state, uh, you know, have uh, who have long enforced this systemic institutional racism against more than a quarter of the population. Lawmakers in the state have done that. And of course, that affects the entire nation, given its effect on the U.S. House majority, Uh which is rigged by actions like this. For now, the state will begrudgingly follow the Constitution and the rule of law. So there you go. That is the good news to start off today. Unfortunately, Alabama is not the only Republican-controlled state that is playing out this same gambit. Similar battles are underway now in states like Louisiana and Texas and Florida where courts have also found their Republican legislators uh, in violation of the rule of law and the Constitution, and where they are also fighting in court and hoping to run out the clock and rig the House again before the uh, 2024 elections to continue racially gerrymandering their U.S. House districts. So this story will continue, but for today in Alabama, at least for now, some good news. The news for the environment today... However, which does not care one whit about politics, as Desi Doyne (laughs) likes to say. It's true. That news is somewhat less good. Uh, as, As you, again, will note in our latest Green News report a little bit later this hour. But there's one point that uh, you covered, Des, that I kind of want to just underscore quickly here, if I could, uh, today, uh, with a bit more detail. As we begin the month of October, the full data set, of global temperatures has now come in for the entire month of September. And as climate scientist Zeke Hausfather noted when posting some simply alarming data and alarming graphs from from this data, uh, he said, quote, this month was, in my professional opinion as a climate scientist, absolutely gobsmackingly bananas. The monthly global temperature anomaly for September is uh, literally off the chart. And and I, I don't mean figuratively off the It is literally off the chart as compared to every decade going back to the 1950s. I mean, it is not even close to September averages in the hottest of the last, what, eight decades or so. Uh, and, of course, the hottest ones are the most recent ones. House Father points out that this September beat the prior monthly record by more than 
0.5 degrees Celsius or almost a full degree Fahrenheit, which while I know it sounds small, it's actually a huge monthly anomaly. Yes. And that that temperature, he notes, was around 1.8 degrees Celsius or about three and a quarter degrees Fahrenheit warmer than pre-industrial levels. Now, the Paris Climate Agreement strives to remain below 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial times, if possible, uh, as reaching two degrees above pre-industrial times would be catastrophic, essentially. Yes, but that's the target that we're going for because that was considered achievable and not quite as catastrophic as, say, three degrees Celsius. You mean like last month here? in? Well, anyway, uh, the month of September has now blown past that that first target, that one and a half degree Celsius target, uh, I think for the first time. Hopefully it's just a one time anomaly, but I see no reason to believe that it will be. Am I crazy? I'm not a climate scientist. Well, it, I wouldn't call you crazy. Um, it, it has to do with the, uh, the, the way that the planetary system works. It works really kind of slowly. So, yes, um, we did uh, find that September went to 1.8 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial eight, levels. Eight degrees? 1.8 oh, degrees one, oh, one Celsius. Point. Oh, good. That's better. All yeah. Right. I feel but, better I, but we should yeah. make an important distinction that yeah. a temporary spike is not the same as a permanent shift above 1.5 degrees. Right. Celsius. So scientists have been unless, of course, it is. But right, go but that's ahead. highly yes. unlikely because okay. we're about to go into okay. winter. We just came off of a record summer. Well, if you if you look at the 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 chart that House Father included in his tweet about this, uh, in fact, September 2023, the variance from the data set going back again more than 80 years is just uh, literally yeah. off the chart. I totally uh, agree with or, you. Or what House Father, of course, says in his scientific way was uh, absolutely gobsmackingly bananas. Right. So again, we're talking about a temporary spike uh -huh. versus what scientists say will be a permanent shift. Those are two different things. They compare it to a step, a step function. So we have variability and fluctuations up and down until one day we step up to the next level, 1.5 or more, and we stay there uh, permanently, at least permanently on human lifetime scales. I am glad you think we are going, uh, that this is a temporary anomaly. Well, we will see. Yes, it will get cooler, but we're not talking about the temperatures. In this case, this chart is actually the temperature anomalies. So right. how much warmer or cooler it is than the monthly average in right. this particular month. Right. So just to keep this all in perspective, today, overall, globally, we are about 1.2 degrees Celsius of warming, mm -hmm. and we're seeing those consequences right now. So globally, the average has is has risen to and is staying above 1.2 degrees Celsius. So we have all of these extremes in floods and heat and uh, drought and wildfires, but it's important to recognize that that 1.2 degrees that we're at now, yeah. Celsius, these are the extreme weather disasters we see. <laughs> With that, it is probably, as scientists say, very likely yeah. to get much worse as we get hotter. So um, just because we're getting stuff now that's really scary and sad and bad and tragic, it has every reason to get worse once we do step up permanently above 1.5. Which is, of course, what we are all 
concerned about. Yes. I was going to say terrified about. Yes, but there is some good news. Well, what is it? Okay, the good news is that Dr. Michael Mann and other climate scientists have concluded that once we stop adding more CO2 to the atmosphere, we stop burning fossil fuels that are the primary driver, that will halt further increases in warming. Literally, the increase in CO2-induced warming will stop when humans stop adding CO2 to the atmosphere. Well, that should happen any second. So everything's fine with our friend Michael Mann, the most <laughs> optimistic you know. climate scientist in the world. Uh, and we love him and appreciate that. Uh, but so I just wanted to make sure that you heard about that because with everything going on, you know, you probably don't hear much uh, discussion about that, much less debate, much less, uh, you know, snarky comment when you got me around <laughs> yeah. uh, about, you know, what the data actually is or how bad it is or, frankly, even how it could get better. So, you know, I think it's fair to say, sadly, that uh, the odds that you'll hear actually hear information contrary to what we just talked about is far more likely. So I just wanted to sort of set that record straight here, and we'll have a bit more, as I said, on uh, that and related matters uh, later this hour in the Green News Report. But here's another story that also illustrates what a lousy job so much of our media does when it comes to informing Americans of actual, you know, facts and stuff. I would, I would bet that many of you have by now seen, as, as I did over the past 24 hours, that the, the Biden administration has, as Fox News declared in an alert yesterday sent out to my iPhone, quote, the it has reversed its position on the border wall. I suspect a lot of you have seen something about this over the past uh, 12 or 24 hours. I know Donald Trump certainly saw it. He's now asking for an apology from the Biden administration since, uh, as he is lying, they now agree with him. <laughs> <clears throat> they don't. Uh, but you would not know that from reading the headlines and, and even most of the actual reporting on this story. As noted, of course, it was Fox the, who was the first to make a lot of noise about this lie. And they have been continuing to do this ever since, hour after hour, sending alert after alert. So despite that uh, whole truth sandwich thing that uh, fact checkers recommend when covering stories that need fact checking... Which is, do you want to explain that? Yes. It's so our brains uh, hear a lie and it sticks in your brain. So use the truth sandwich model. You tell the truth first, the facts first, then you repeat the lie, and then you finish by telling the truth and the facts again. A sandwich. Truth, lie, truth. All right. I think we're going right to the right to the lie uh, because, I, you know, I, I, I've already told you uh, this part of the story is a lie. So I'm, I'm just going to jump right into it. As I first saw it on Fox News and... And sadly, it's not only on Fox News that where they're misreporting this story, by the way. I'll get to that in a minute. But as the fake news site that calls itself Fox reports, headline, Biden administration accused of hypocrisy <laughs> for proposing border wall amid migrant crisis. Accused of hypocrisy by who? Well, yeah, by Fox News, of course. And some wingnut bloggers. And people like Donald Trump, who they are all, you know, happy to disinform and out and out lie to. Uh, here's what Fox reports. The Biden administration is being mocked for announcing border wall construction in Texas after President Biden and other Democrats publicly opposed the idea. The administration 
had put a halt to new border wall construction in early 2021 upon taking office, citing the Trump administration's efforts as, quote, just one example of the prior administration's misplaced priorities and failure to manage migration in a safe, orderly and humane way. But now, as it turns out, some have noticed that the Department of Homeland Security announced on Thursday in the Federal Register that they were exercising presidential powers to waive certain laws in order to build about 17 miles of border wall in a part of the Rio Grande Valley, which is, of course, hypocrisy. <laughs> uh, now, it, of course, it sure sounds like it, at least if you read the way that this is being reported in a whole lot of places, even by legit news outlets as opposed to Fox, I'll get to that in a second, but Fox quotes some fringe right-wing commentators that you have never heard of in order to make its case that the Biden administration is being called out for their hypocrisy on the border wall. Quote, remarkable, wrote some guy who runs something called Trending Politics that Fox quoted here. Remarkable. Four years ago, this was racist. Now they're advocating for it. How times have changed, said Tesla CEO Elon Musk on the <laughs> site that he now owns, still called Twitter. Fox quotes uh, who they describe to be a so-called conservative influencer duo named the Hodge Twins. They write, quote, where isn't the left accusing the Biden yeah, that's what it says. Where isn't the left accusing the Biden admin of racism and fascism for wanting a border wall? I'm not even sure I understand that. I don't either. <laughs> uh, then the uh, it wasn't all these uh, weirdo folks on the Internet and plus Elon Musk. It was also the communication director for Ohio Republican Senator J.D. Vance. He's quoted as saying, uh, quote, now that Biden's staring down a massive loss to Trump in 2024, he thinks he can change his tune. It's disgusting, but it won't work. Joe Biden has zero credibility when it comes to securing the border. And of course, they quote Donald Trump, uh, his spokesperson, who apparently told Fox that uh, President Trump is always right. Crooked Joe Biden turned our country into one giant sanctuary for dangerous criminal aliens, uh, etc. So sadly, though, so that's Fox, but they're not the only ones, which is what's really sad here. It's, it's just Fox, but Fox is what sets the agenda for the legitimate media as well. They launder all of the right wing talking points via Reuters, their headline. In reversal, Biden to build more U.S. border wall. Trump demands apology. This is from Reuters. President Joe Biden's administration said on Thursday it will add sections to a border wall to stave off record migrant crossings from Mexico, a reversal that embraces a signature policy of former President Donald Trump. Trump made building border barriers a central tenet of his first campaign for president. Uh, one of Biden's first actions after taking office in 2021 was to issue a proclamation pre pledging that, quote, no more American taxpayer dollars be diverted to construct a border wall, as well as a review of all the resources that had already been committed. And that is key. 
so uh, stick a pin in that for the moment. Reuters continues, Trump was quick to claim victory and demand an apology. Quote, as I have often stated over thousands of years, there are only two things that have consistently worked, wheels and walls, Trump wrote on social media. Will Joe Biden apologize to me and America for taking so long to get moving? So Reuters then goes on to explain the notice published to the Federal Register on Thursday uh, to, uh, quote, ensure the expeditious construction of barriers and roads in the vicinity of the international land border in Starr County, Texas. Now, if you happen to be reading this article still, way down below, you will learn that money that was allocated during the Trump administration is being spent now on a border wall because the administration has no other choice. A U.S. official, they said, uh, said, quote, we are required to do this by law. The funding was set to expire at the end of 2023, and if we did not use it, we would be breaking the law. Huh. That's, that's somewhat different, isn't it? Attempts to push Congress to reapportion the funding elsewhere failed, the official said, so they are attempting to follow the law by doing what they were mandated to do by uh, Congress, which seems very different than hypocrisy and a major reversal by the Biden administration on the border wall. Even farther down in the Reuters article, it says, under the Trump administration, Congress appropriated $1.3 billion for construction fencing in the Rio Grande Valley in fiscal 2019. Hmm, who was the president back then in 2019? And they note the money cannot be used for anything else. Quote, the U.S. official said the administration continues to call on Congress to cancel or reappropriate re remaining border barrier funding and instead fund smarter border security measures like border tech, uh, border technology, which is more effective, the official said. Uh, if you uh, read over at AP, they eventually point out that it was uh, a statement from the Customs and Border uh, Protection who said that this was money from 2019 that was appropriate, appropriated that has to be spent by the president. Uh, but, you know... You got to read way down into the story to find that out. And remember, by the way, it was Donald Trump. Remember when he was first impeached the first time for threatening to hold back money that Congress had appropriated to Ukraine and that that was a violation of the law? That is akin to what President Biden is not doing here. Kind of seems like that ought to be the lead. Uh, rather than uh, Joe Biden thinks Donald Trump is right, owes him an apology. Anyway, uh, no one said being an informed news consumer was going to be easy in 2023, <laughs> uh, but we are happy to help where we can. To that end, let's take a quick break here. And amid another insane news week, let's come back with some something uh, wildly unusual in that it is completely normal. A not crazy interview with the president of the United States if only a reminder that we don't have to be insane around here. It's a choice, but unlike the border wall or offshore drilling, which the Biden administration has also been forced to do, uh, being uh, insane is not actually a mandate of law. It's a choice. 
Anyway, that's straight ahead along with the latest Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. When trumpets were mellow and every gal only had one fellow, no need to remember when, cause everything old is new again. Yeah, kind of. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I have been trying to get to this all week, not because... It is earth shattering in any particular way or scandalous or enraging, but frankly, because it is not. It is just normal. What a concept. The old normal, in fact. Uh, A sit down interview with the president of the United States who is running for reelection and who doesn't make news here for outrageous claims or statements or threats and Therefore, I suspect most people have not seen or heard any of this. But there is uh, much here that is very much worth hearing, I think, if only because it's a reminder of what normal, the old normal, could, can still look like. As we've been uh, covering the madness of this past week, from the GOP federal government shutdown averted over the weekend to Donald Trump's obnoxious appearances for the cameras, at his $250 million New York State fraud trial against him and his, and his company in, in New York to the first ever removal of a sitting Speaker of the U.S. House, all just within the past few days. Now, I noted on yesterday's show that the attempt by Republicans to blame Democrats for the fact that Republican members called what turned out to be a successful motion to vacate the chair and remove Kevin McCarthy from his post, that many in the media were taking that opportunity yet again to talk about, oh, how American politics is broken. And I noted that the eminently reasonable John Harwood, now of ProPublica, responded to that notion via a tweet to say, quote, if American politics were broken, we'd have seen things like this happen when Democrats controlled the House, but we didn't. He said what's broken, very specifically, is the Republican Party, which happily Uh, which, of course, makes sense, is absolutely correct. I was delighted to hear him say that, but it reminded me of this interview that I've been trying to get to that he did, John Harwood did last week with President Joe Biden. Uh, It's an interview about democracy itself now being at stake and all that that entails from the Supreme Court to the growing threat of political violence to the man, Donald Trump, who is actually encouraging that political violence, and about the need to give the American people some hope moving forward. This was taped apparently the day after Biden's speech on democracy last week in Arizona, and just before both the federal government shutdown that was averted over the weekend and then Speaker McCarthy's removal as Speaker on Tuesday, uh, as, again, led by members of his own party. Here's John Harwood with Joe Biden. 
Mr. President, thanks for doing this. Happy to do it. Since you gave your democracy speech in Philadelphia a year ago, we've had orderly midterm elections, no violence, and the beginning of legal accountability for former President Trump and other January 6th defendants, no civil unrest. Could the threat to democracy be smaller than you think? Well, um, I think the opposite things happened, John. I think that this is sort of the last gasp, or maybe the first big gasp of the mega Republicans. And uh, I think Trump has concluded that he has to win, and he'll pull out all the stops. I mean, the quotes he uses are just, I never thought I'd hear a president say some of the stuff he says. And so I think that, uh, and you see what's happening in terms of what the mega Republicans are doing in the House. They right. don't make up a majority right. of the House, but they're bringing everything to a screeching halt. As you think about the threat to democracy, do you think of it specifically as the refusal to accept election defeats and peaceful transfer of power? Or is it more broadly encompassing some of the longstanding features of democracy, like the Electoral College, the nature of the Senate, the gerrymandering process, that sometimes thwart the will of the majority. We should never condone violence in a democracy. But I think it's well beyond that. For example, the idea, when I talk about democracy, democracy is sort of the, what surrounds the, the, the underpinning democracy, the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, all those things that provide for the certainty that everybody gets a shot. And uh, so, you know, we the people is, I know it sounds corny, but that's what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And everything that's happening now is designed to prevent that from happening, for the, the, the people's voice. For example, he wants to change in the way the civil service works. For, right. uh, he wants a whole new category that is not answerable, not answerable to the civil service rules, but only answer to, answerable to the president, those kinds of things. Let me ask you about one specific issue. You've, uh, in your campaign and as president, supported a variety of uh, tax increases for corporations and wealthy individuals to pay for some of your programs. They're very popular in the polls, but few of them passed even when your party controlled the Congress. Is that a failure of democracy or just politics? It's more, it's more politics. Um, Look, when I got elected, remember everybody told me that we're never get, not going to anything bipartisan, mm -hmm. not going to get it done. Well, we surprised some people. With one vote majority, we were able to get a number of things passed. And, uh, and about half of it was bipartisan. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I don't think it was a consequence of, of, uh, of the parties. It was a consequence of the things I'm worried about are the institutional changes right. that are attempted to be made. Well, speaking of that, Speaker McCarthy has advanced an impeachment inquiry um, on the basis of innuendo about your son, but not evidence of wrongdoing by you. He's done that partly to try to keep his job, partly to persuade some of his most extreme members not to shut the government down. What does that say about the current Republican Party's ability to govern in our constitutional democracy? I think it's just two things. The speaker's made a, a, a terrible bargain. In order to keep the speakership, he's willing to do things that he, I think he knows are inconsistent with constitutional processes, number one. Number two, I think it says that uh, there is a, a group of mega Republicans who, 
generally want to have a fundamental change in the way the, the system works. And that's what worries me the most, is the change in what constitutes, for example, the idea that uh, um, we'd be in a position where they're willing to say that it's okay for the president to talk about, uh, um, he said, I am your retribution, mm -hmm. I am, I mean, these, all these weird things that are being said, they seem to be uh, encouraging it. You've said that most Republicans are not MAGA. I agree. But they're being driven and intimidated by the smaller number who are. If January 6th, a new presidential campaign and a government shutdown does not motivate that majority to regain control of the party, what can? I'm really worried if that's the case. And um, that's why I think that I want to change, increase the focus on the fundamentals here, that democracy, literally our democracy is at stake. And, and it's by altering the institutional structures to protect it. And, and I think that, uh, I think we're in real trouble if that's not the case. But I, I'm convinced that part of it is communicating to the American people. This is bigger than political disagreement. Mm -hmm. It's beyond that. And when you, when you talk to people, like for example, the speech I recently made on democracy, I made about four major speeches on democracy. Mm -hmm. Initially, with notable exceptions, people thought, what's Biden talking about mm -hmm. here? Well, you know, the data showed that over 60% of the American people, they were worried too. And that's one of the reasons why 2020 turned out the way it did, 2022 mm -hmm. turned out the way it did. And so I think it's important that for, to give people some hope that we can get through this. Look, we're in the cusp of being able to do, not because of me, not mm -hmm. because of my presidency, the cusp of being able to do some really big things in America. Speaking of institutions, uh, rule of law is a essential feature for a democracy. Do you personally have confidence that this current Supreme Court is upholding and will uphold the rule of law? I worry um, because I know that if the other team, the mega Republicans win, they don't want to uphold the rule of law. They want to get rid of the FBI. I mean, the, thing, the things they say. And, and I think that somehow we've got to communicate to the American people, this is for real. Mm -hmm. This is real if they were to take over, if they were to have their way. And, uh, but I do think at the end of the day, this court, which has been one of the most extreme courts, mm -hmm. I still think on the basic fundamentals of the rule of law I'm, that they would sustain the rule of law. Um, Richard Haas, the foreign policy advisor, past Republican presidents, uh, says that Trump wants Budapest on the Potomac in his efforts to get greater personal control of the government uh, and pursue retribution that you spoke about yesterday. He says, like you, that uh, the uh, voters should make protection of democracy the paramount issue, which is another way of saying the only way that voters can protect democracy is to vote for the Democratic nominee, you. Are voters going to be comfortable hearing that argument? I don't think it was phrased that way, but I think it's phrased in, if the former president were to become president again, the things he says he will do are a threat to American democracy. And by the way, it's not just here. As I travel the world, mm -hmm. I have heads of state asking me, I mean, conservative heads of state, 
look what's going to happen. Does that mean? Because democracy is in jeopardy in other parts of the world as well. And, you know, Madeleine Albright was right. We are the essential nation. If it fails here, Katie bar the door. Given the concerns that many voters have about your age, among other things, why are you the only Democrat who can protect democracy next year? I'm not the only Democrat that can protect it. Uh, I just happen to be the Democrat who I think is best positioned to see to it that the guy I was worried about taking on democracy is not president. Uh, you, um, yesterday in your speech, said that voters should put partisanship aside for the larger cause, Republicans, Democrats, independents. What Democratic priorities are you prepared to set aside to attract the largest possible coalition? Well, look, if you take a look at all what I propose, they're overwhelmingly popular <laughs> with the American people. Not, not, nothing I've proposed is extreme. Um, for example, you know, dealing with investing in America and increasing manufacturing, creating jobs, being in a position where we put more money into education, where we just make everybody pay their fair share. Those things, as measured broadly, they're, they're popular across the board. So the thing that, that I have trouble trying to figure out is what it is that, other than protecting the Constitution, what is it that these mega Republicans think is extreme about what I'm doing? Mm -hmm. They haven't been, I mean, I haven't heard, seen any articulation of any of that. Your former Senate colleague, Joe Lieberman, uh, says he is upholding democracy by working with an organization called No Labels to yeah. uh, pursue a potential third-party candidacy. Is he? Well, he has a democratic right to do it. There's, there's no reason that, not to do that. Now, it's, it's going to help the other guy, uh, and he knows. So that doesn't, that, that's a political decision he's making that uh, I, I obviously think is a mistake. But he has a right to do that. There are millions of Americans who think the country is changing in ways that are harmful to whites, men, social conservatives, small-town, blue-collar America. A poll by the Public Religion Research Institute showed that 40% of the people who call themselves Christian nationalists think that patriots may need to use violence to save the country. Is that fear of change where the threat to democracy comes from? When I left the Senate, I was able to convince Strom Thurmond to vote for the Voting Rights Act. Strom Thurmond. And uh, I thought, you know, you can, you, you can defeat hate. Uh -huh. You can bury it. You can kill it. But I learned you can't. All you can do is you can drive it underground. Uh -huh. And when you breathe oxygen under the rock, it comes roaring back out again. And I think one of the things that I see, you may recall, in the 2020 campaign, I said, I speak to you not from Wall Street, I speak to you from Scranton, Pennsylvania. That was a bit of a populist point, but it was a genuine point, that in fact, I represent all those people. I will represent all those people, but there is a real play, the, the world's changing, John, and we're gonna be, the fact is, we're gonna be very shortly a minority white European country. Right. And sometimes, uh, my colleagues don't speak enough to make it clear that, that doesn't, that's not going to change how we operate. That's not going to change them. You focused on delivering economic benefits to um, some of those voters who are afraid of change. What is the evidence that in this current moment, 
its economic benefits that will diminish their grievances. It's not so much the economic benefits, it's treating them with respect. Treating them with respect. You may remember, because you're barely old enough, but you may remember back in 72, uh, we ran uh, a campaign and Nixon won overwhelmingly in 72. He won over 60% of the vote in my state and I won by 3,100 votes. The issue then was that we were limousine liberals. We weren't paying attention to the problems of ordinary families and speaking to their immediate needs. Well, I've never not done that. And I think the Democratic Party in the past has on occasion spoken less to the needs and the fears and concerns. And so I think, you know, a lot of the guys I grew up with in Claymont, Delaware, and Scranton, Pennsylvania, they feel like they're not being respected. Um, not so much by policy, just by the, by the failure to talk about their needs. Uh -huh. And that's why, John, I think, I, I think the reason why I was able to get the, the, my economic programs passed is because I talked about, I'm talking about building the country from the middle out and the bottom up, not the top down, and that includes everybody. And embracing, embracing the blue collar workers. As you noted in your speech uh, yesterday, the specter of violence has become increasingly visible in Republican politics. What can you, law enforcement, decent Republicans do to prevent um, incitement to violence, another January 6th or something worse than that? Not legitimize it. Not talk about it like it's appropriate. Not talk about that there's never, 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 never a rationale for political violence in America. That's not who we are. And speak to it. Speak up. It matters. It matters. Do you think that uh, right-wing media outlets, Fox News and others, that have spread lies about the 2020 election, do they drive the threat that you're concerned about? Or are they simply reflecting sentiment that already exists in the country? They do both. What about what Elon Musk has done to Twitter? Uh, lowering guardrails against misinformation. Does that contribute to it? Yeah, it does. Look, one of the things, as I said to you, when I thought I wasn't going to run, I was going to write a book about the changes taking place. And most of it's directed over the years for these fundamental changes in society by changing technology. Mm -hmm. Gutenberg printing in the printing press changed the way Europeans could talk to one another all the way to today. Where, where do people get their news? They, 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 you know, they go on the internet, they, 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 they go online, they go, and you have no notion whether it's true or not. You said in your speech yesterday you want average Americans who share your concerns to engage, to stand up for American values. How would you advise those people who do share your concerns, but may be wary to, uh, about talking to a MAGA parent neighbor, coworker, how would you advise them to do that? Vote, vote. Look, I was saying to my staff, I never thought I'd see a time when someone was worried about being on a jury because there may be physical violence against them if they voted the wrong way. I never thought, I'd, I never thought that would happen. It's like a, maybe a mobster's case, right? right? 
I mean, think about that. But a lot of average people think those are really difficult conversations to have with people and, and well, may be reluctant to well, engage. Well, they are. And I think if you don't want to engage, you just act, you just do what you think is right. And part of that is just showing up, showing up. But I also think that we should be engaging people more and, and our, our, our not, not be worried about our neighbor. Talk to them. Sit down and say, what, what do you think? Well, I, I, and not get in arguments, but say, this is what you say this, but how about this? And force people to get in, in a two-way conversation. But it's hard, John. But the biggest thing is, look, I really do believe that the vast majority of the American people are decent, honorable, straightforward. I mean, I think it's a minority minority. And I think they have to, though, understand, one, what the danger is if they don't participate, mm -hmm. and two, show up, show up, show up. Mr. President, thank you very much for sitting down. Thanks for having me. That was John Harwood of ProPublica with President Joe Biden uh, when he says uh, show up, show up. I think he means show up to vote, show up at the polling place. But I also think he means show up for your friends, your neighbors, the folks who are maybe perhaps still trapped if they're still reachable in MAGA land, that maybe <laughs> you showing up and engaging with them is something that can at least help maybe break away some of that to start. And what's the old phrase? Uh, history is made by those who show up. Yes, it is. As I said, uh, frankly, a totally normal interview, uh, the old normal anyway, but at least, uh, well, the old normal, as the president says, with democracy itself at stake and in the months and perhaps years ahead, but with a reasonable, sensible response to it. And I felt like we could use a little bit of that today. Uh you know, Lord knows a few others, I guess, in the media will let you hear a nearly 20 minute interview with the president of the United States. <laughs> Certainly not on most corporate media sites. So uh, there you go. Uh, at least they should say when the president is Joe Biden. That's when you won't hear a 20 minute mm. interview with them. Anyway, show up, show up, show up. Green News Report is next. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the old normal broadcast. <laughs> The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Okay. Now we uh, get back to the madness again, Desi Doyen. <laughs> yes, we do. So from uh, from the old normal uh, to the new normal, unfortunately, in our latest Green News Report. Unprecedented and deeply alarming. Scientists are freaking out about September's record heat and Antarctica's missing ice. Critical climate targets still barely within reach thanks to growth of renewable energy. Plus, we will be bold. We will be radical. Bold and radical. British Prime Minister cancels high-speed rail, expands offshore drilling. 
All that bold, radical news and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. So I have a choice of electrocution or shock. You know what I'm going to take? Don't care. Both sound good to me. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, the fallout from the summer that is apparently never ending Hmm. continues today. And now there's concerns down in Antarctica. Yes, climate scientists are freaking out a bit after the hottest summer in recorded history. Temperatures in September are even more abnormal across the planet. Preliminary data from Japan's weather service this week indicates September 2023 beat the previous warmest September by such a wide margin that climate scientist Zeke Hausfather called it, quote, absolutely gobsmackingly bananas. (laughs) NOAA scientists warned that global heat will keep rising as the El Nino weather pattern in the Pacific peaks early next year and to, quote, expect more records to be set in the coming months. I am expecting. All of that heat has consequences, especially for wildlife that can't escape. In Brazil, more than 100 Amazon River dolphins were found dead in a remote rainforest lake amid record drought and record hot water temperatures that topped 102 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. Scientists are also freaking out a bit because Antarctica's sea ice just hit a new unprecedented record low by an astonishing margin. According to the National Snow and Ice Data Center, increasing concerns that it could be entering a state of accelerating decline brought on by man-made global warming and record warm oceans. It matters because Antarctica's sea ice helps stabilize its vast land glaciers that would raise global sea levels substantially. And sea ice influences the ocean currents that distribute heat, nutrients, and oxygen across the planet, supporting the ocean food chain. As New Zealand scientist Natalie Robinson warned in an interview with News Hub, If we're going to change how the sea ice forms, we're actually changing some fundamental aspects of the global ocean system. Oh, that's all. In the UK, Conservative Prime Minister Rishi Sunak last week watered down Britain's climate targets, bizarrely claiming that it was in the nation's best long-term interest. This week, Sunak announced he cancelled a much-anticipated segment of a major high-speed rail project that would have revitalized northern England's economy and reduced air pollution. Then, Sunak approved a major new offshore oil and gas drilling project in the North Sea, ignoring warnings from scientists and the U.N. that countries must stop developing new fossil fuel resources to avoid catastrophic climate change. The move comes in advance of parliamentary elections and were broadly condemned even by Sunak's conservative predecessors. What the hell has gotten into Sunak and Maybe I should say, who has gotten to Sunak? Here in the U.S., Arizona's Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs said this week she is terminating controversial state-issued land leases that for years gave a farm owned by Saudi Arabia the ability to pump virtually unlimited amounts of the desert state's groundwater for free to grow alfalfa for export to Saudi Arabia. Worsening drought in Arizona has brought renewed attention to the issues of foreign-owned 
owned farms and unregulated groundwater pumping. I guess it has. Cue the right-wing outrage. The Department of Energy finalized new upgraded energy efficiency standards for natural gas-fired furnaces, requiring 95% efficiency for non-weatherized gas furnaces and those used in mobile homes. Take your dirty hands off my gas-powered furnace. The department says the new efficiency rules will cut down on indoor air pollution and save consumers money on energy, collectively $25 billion over 30 years. Stop saving me money and saving my life. And finally, some encouraging news. Thanks to the rapid growth of renewable energy and electric cars around the world, the UN's International Energy Agency says we still have a chance of limiting man-made global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels. Mm. However, to hold global warming in check, countries must triple renewable energy capacity, double the rate of energy efficiency upgrades, and cut methane emissions from fossil fuel production by 2030. The IEA says the methane solution would cost the oil and gas industry just $75 billion, or 2% of their profits, in 2022. So, there's still a chance. Mm Mm-hmm. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Chances are your chances are awfully good. We'll see how good those chances are. Yeah, it's a work in progress. Did, did I understand that right, $75 billion is what it would cost the uh, oil and gas industry to get uh, methane. To, to fix to, their methane leak problem, yes. $75 billion as 2% of the profits, the profits that they made this year alone. From 2022, last 22. year alone. And that would take care of the methane problem Yeah. forever? Yeah. And they're still fighting it. Yep. It's they're, crazy. They're fantastic, aren't they? <laughs> uh, you know who else is fantastic? You are, Desi <laughs> Doyen. Thank you very much. She is our producer, and I also thank all of you for listening. You are fantastic as well. Yes. If you missed any portion of today's program and you'd like to give it another listen uh, or share it with someone you know and love or hate, you can do so at bradblog.com. That is free. No paywall there. Thanks to those of you kind enough to... Hit one of those donate buttons when you stop by or just go straight to bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves. Drop me an email if you like. Always good to hear from you. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. I read them all. I reply to most. And you can also find me on the social media, including Facebook, Mastodon, and yes, the site still known as Twitter at the Brad blog. We'll see you there. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman, and I mean it. Good luck, world. The chances are your chances.